you have a copy of the scriptures, and I hope you do, uh, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. As you're turning there, I'll uh, tell you what you may already have picked up on, uh, some of you that I've spent more time with in the last year or so, but um, my wife would tell you, without a doubt, that I have a personality um, that can quickly become obsessive about something, right? And so um, she would probably tell you um, that there was a, a, a day, I think it was a Valentine's Day, that I got obsessed with the game Snake on my phone. Um, I don't know if you know the game Snake. It's a long line, and it becomes longer the more pellets you eat, and it becomes this big, long snake. And I just did that until I completely did not celebrate Valentine's Day uh, with my wife of probably two or three years at that point. Big mistake, right? I, I have an obsessive personality. Do I need to go to a different mic? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, okay. All right. Can y'all, hey, friends sitting in these seats, can y'all hear me well? Okay. Uh, <laughs> right. I don't, I don't mean to say, um, okay. I don't, uh, checking, checking. Is that working better? Hear me better? Yes. Okay. Um, so I don't, I don't know the nice word for tone deaf. Um, but I was asking if you could hear me in the room. Um, you anyways, whatever we can talk about it later. Um, by talk about it, I mean, you'll, chastise me and I'll apologize. Anyways, okay. Um, correctly, you should. Anyhow, um, part of that obsessive personality for me um, fleshed out at, at a place that I love to go uh, to Orange Beach, Alabama. I don't know if you've been there before. Um, East Coast beaches are awesome, but they are not um, the Gulf, okay? And so when you go down to the Gulf in Alabama, it's just white, sandy beaches. It's beautiful. One of my favorite places to go when I'm down there is a place called Lulu's. Um, if you don't know about Lulu's, then I am sorry, but it is a restaurant that will blow your mind. Uh, one of the reasons I love to go there is because they have awesome crab melts and fried green tomatoes, but there's a totally different reason I love to go there, disconnected from the food. And that is there's a game there where they have a, a hook screwed into a post. And then about maybe four to five feet away from that, you've seen this before, many of you maybe, they have a, a ring hanging from a string right in front of your face, right? And the game is called Ring on a String. And, and, and all you do, right, is you just push the ring over to where the hook is, and you just land the ring on the hook. That's the whole game, okay? And so, um, like many other things in my life, I remember the first time that I tried to do ring on a string at Lulu's. I walked over there to it. It's super confident, right? I had watched four or five people in a row not be successful at it, but I walked over there as if I were John Travolta, right, from Saturday Night Fair. I, mean, I was, I was, because I was about to do this thing, and it was not going to be a problem at all, okay? And I, and I eventually walked away a few minutes later looking way more like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, right? Just roll. Not right, because I thought it was going to be so simple. Right, all you do is, is fling the ring on, onto the hook. Like that's all there is to it. Right, but it drives me nuts when when I encounter things like that that are so easy to understand but so hard to do. You've been there. I'm sure you've been there. Right? Have you uh, ever learned to whistle? Remember learning to whistle? Some of you were instinctive whistlers. You just pursed your lips one time, and you just blew, and a, and a beautiful harmony came out. You sound like a flute from birth. That's great for you. But the rest of us, do you remember learning to whistle? Right? Somebody was trying to tell you, well, pucker your lips, and then you got to lick your lips, and then you just blow some air through there, and it's going to make a noise. you remember that? 
It's so easy to understand, but when you start and you're going, <laughs> right, and you're, you're blowing and it's, you're like, did I eat crackers with peanut butter and forget? Like, what, what's happening here? This is extremely difficult. Like, why is this not working? Maybe nobody, in, maybe you're all whistlers. Maybe this is a Georgia thing I don't know about. This was a, I didn't learn to whistle until I was 17, by the way, so there's that, right? But if it wasn't whistling, it might have been tying a tie, men, right? You know how to tie a necktie? Right? Remember that moment when you thought, well, I'll just run in there and tie it real quick before we leave because it's not hard. Right? But you hadn't done it in a hot minute and you went in there to tie the tie and you did some stuff and man, you came out 20 minutes later sweaty. You had some mangled mess right here that looked like an origami swan. Right? It was like, I don't know what happened, but it's only supposed to be like three moves and you pull it through and it's good to go, but it didn't quite work its way out quite so easy. Right? Last but not least, my favorite that came to mind. Any parents in the house remember how easy it was when you saw somebody else change a diaper? <laughs> right? There's not much to changing a diaper, okay? You, you set the new diaper under them with the old diaper on. You do a little wipe for cleanup, okay? Then you just press down, tape, tape, you're done, okay? It's that simple, right? No, it's not that simple, right? Where, where is this docile child who just lays there while I do this? Where is that one? Because none of mine were that. Okay, and if you, I'm just telling you, if you don't know, if you're a parent, you do know, if you pull that tape even a little bit too hard, it's no longer connected to the diaper. Okay, and so you're either going to MacGyver that thing or you've just wasted a whole diaper. You got to start over, right? It's easy in concept, but it's pretty difficult in application. Been there with something? Maybe not one of those three things, but have you been there before? Yeah, doesn't that frustrate the fool out of you when you can go, I clearly see and know how to do this, and yet I am so much struggling, having a hard time trying to actually do it. In fact, it's the fact that we can clearly understand it that makes it that much more frustrating. <laughs> if we could look at it and go, I, I clearly do not know how to do that, we wouldn't be frustrated by not being able to execute. It's the fact that we can see it clearly that tends to frustrate us when the execution is difficult. Today, we're going to continue our series called The Holiness of God in Us. And what we're going to see today is we've talked about the holiness of God, and then we've talked about how that then propels us or encourages us or prompts us to live a holy lifestyle. We're, we're going to see that different than God's holiness, His holiness is so big and is so grand that it's beyond our full understanding. That's God's holiness. But when He calls us to be holy, we've said it's just the Spirit-empowered practice of arranging our lives to see and show His holiness. It's I do things in my life and I don't do things in my life because I want to see more of God like He really is in His holiness. And I want my life to show more of that to other people. That's not that hard to understand. It's I make the decisions that I make. I choose to do the things I choose to do. I refrain from doing the things that I refrain from doing because I want to see more of God in the way that he truly is, and I want other people to see him through my life. That's an easy concept. But the reality that, that maybe we don't hear enough about sometimes in the American Christian church is that living the holy lifestyle, while easy to understand in concept, is really hard to execute sometimes that it faces us with a really hard decision. We talked last week about we see the holiness of God and he is holy, therefore we should desire to be holy because we've seen him. It's easy to go, yes, Jesus, I want to be like you. And yet there's uh, an everyday decision, a moment-by-moment decision over and over again that is in the execution and it's really, really hard. 
You'll see more about that today and hopefully find some promise in that difficulty. Looking at Luke chapter 9, Luke is one of the four Gospels we have in the New Testament. When we say that a book of the Bible is a Gospel, we're saying that it's a written down story telling the events of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection so that other people can trust in him. All right, and so there's the gospel when we talk about the fact that a holy God rescued sinful people through the sacrifice of his solely sufficient son, Jesus. That's the gospel message, but when we talk about one of these books being a gospel, that is, hey, an eyewitness or somebody near an eyewitness wrote this stuff down so that we could understand the gospel message and we could know that it exists in Christ and put our trust in him. That's what Luke is doing. We know from the first couple of verses of Luke and the first couple of verses of Acts that he was, we believe, commissioned and paid probably by who was probably a Roman government official named Theophilus. He was considering Jesus maybe. Maybe he had already started to follow Jesus, but he had a lot to lose. He could lose his career. He could lose his political clout. He could lose possibly even his family or his life if he decided to follow Jesus as a guy who was high up in the Roman government. So he paid this intelligent doctor, physician named Luke to go around and do research and write it down. And the first half of that research written down is what we're reading when we're reading the book of Luke. Before we jump into these verses, I want you to know what's just happened in the story because I think it's really, really important. To this point, Jesus has done miracles. He has fed thousands of people from little amounts of food. He has healed people who were very ill. He's touched them and healed them. He's done miracles. And Jesus, we see in the few verses before this, he's looking at his disciples and he's saying, listen, I've done all of these things. So tell me this, who do people say that I am? When people talk about me, when your friends talk about me or the folks that you work with talk about me or whoever you see out about town, what do they say about me? You ever done that before? (laughs) Remember elementary school, you'd be like, does she think I'm cute or does she not think I'm cute? Because there's no way you're going to go ask her if she thinks you're cute, right? Right? You're going to get somebody else to find out, right? This is Jesus knowing, hey, people are not going to say directly to me what they'll say to my disciples. And so he says to them, who do people say that I am? And they give him some different ideas. And then he asks them that question, remember? He changes the focus from who the crowds say that he is. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And if you remember, Peter, speaking on behalf of all the apostles, I believe, says, well, you are the Christ sent from God. You're the Savior. He's saying the one that was promised in the Old Testament hundreds of years ago that our people have been waiting on for hundreds and hundreds of years with hope and expectation, you're him. You're him. Jesus immediately after that, as soon as Peter says that, Jesus says, hey, here's the deal. I need to tell you something. There are going to be some people, and they're going to treat me really badly, and I'm going to be killed. I'm going to die. Can you imagine the elation, the confidence, the, hey, I've been walking around for every day for a couple of years with the Messiah, the one, right? The promised one. I know him. I eat with him. He likes me. He laughs at my jokes, right? I've been with him. Yes, you are him, they say, with confidence. Can you imagine how good that must feel to immediately have that followed with him saying, well, guess what? I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. That's what's going to happen. Very different than probably what they expected. They expected a leader that would come in and strengthen force. They expected a leader who at least philosophically would change the hearts and the minds of the people and and start this big earthly 
reign. They're going, I'm connected to him. And then he says, but I'm going to die. He says, I'm going to do the thing that looks like as big of a loss as there can be. I'm going to lose in the way that looks like the biggest way to lose. But in doing that, he's ultimately going to win. But, but that place of heart is where Jesus' first disciples hear the verses that we look at today. That place of, oh my goodness, I'm with him. And wait a minute, turn the music off. I couldn't hear. Did he just say he's going to die? That's what just happened. Then it says this in our verses, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23. And he, being Jesus, and he said to all, so his disciples he's speaking to most directly, but it would lead us to believe there's some people probably standing around in the periphery listening. He says to him, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We'll just stop there for just a moment. Imagine being one of the disciples. One of the guys who's already walked around with Jesus every day. One of the guys who's probably already been made fun of because they followed Jesus. One of the guys who's already faced some hard stuff probably relationally because they followed him. And here's Jesus going, well, listen, if you're going to follow me, if anyone's going to come after me, if they're going to be with me. You see, here's what's, I believe, happening, at least in the lives of the apostles, is this reality that we can't follow Jesus genuinely until we've met the genuine Jesus. The, the more that we see him clearly, the more we're able, able to, to follow rightly. And to this point, they've followed him and they've trusted him and they're moving on. But now he has just dropped a bomb into their lives and said, hey, I am going to die. And the very next thing he does is talk about coming with him. <laughs> you see that? Hey, they're going to kill me, by the way. And if anybody is going to come after me, <laughs> right, it'd be easy to go, well, if you're going to die, I'm not coming after you. <laughs> it's a tough decision. It says, if anyone would come after me. Now they've seen Jesus more clearly. He's he said, he's acknowledged in a certain way, yes, I, I am who you think that I am. And here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die. They've seen him more clearly. So even his followers are now having to, to make a, a decision yet again. Are they going to follow him in a way that would be extremely costly, maybe even the cost of their lives? And, and today, my burden has been, as we've pushed into this passage and knowing that we're headed here this week, I've just been asking God, begging God, God, please let our hearts be sensitive to your word. God, let us know that you've spoken to our hearts because I am as concerned as maybe I've ever been that this is the kind of passage that we can open up and read and we're a little familiar with and we can hear it and we can go, okay, yeah, and we could fail to realize that maybe we need to ask the if question. He says, if you are going to come after me, if you are going to be more than a believer, but be a follower. Right? Tons of people in Scripture, there's multiple instances of people in Scripture who believe to some degree or another about Jesus' identity as coming from heaven or being the Son of God or being the Messiah. They believe about him, but they don't follow him. In our culture, it's so easy to call yourself a Christian. We use Christian as an adjective. There's Christian music, Christian coffee, Christian T-shirts. right? There's Christian anything and everything. 
Right, so maybe a good question for us today is, hey, just, just put that idea of Christian, just kind of set it to the side in your mind for just a moment. And let me just ask you this. Are you a Jesus follower? Are we followers of Jesus? Are we actually walking with him? Are we actually seeking to have our lives moved by his leadership and guidance in our lives? I'll never forget reaching out to a guy who was part of a church that I pastored, and I hadn't seen him in a while, and I was trying to check in with him lovingly. And, and I just said to him, I said, man, are you, you know, you and your fiance, are y'all, y'all, would you still say you're followers of Jesus? And I'll never forget, I was so thankful for his honesty and so heartbroken. He said, man, I, I don't know that I could say we're followers of Jesus, but, I mean, we're, we're definitely religious. Right? And I, I love the honesty. But what scares me as a pastor in our culture is I wonder how many people who may not say that out loud, who maybe that is their true state inwardly to say, hey, listen, I'm religious and I believe in God and I'm trying to do the right thing so that I can be with God one day. Listen, that is not the message of the gospel. The gospel is not, if you trust in God and therefore do good enough, then God will accept you. That is not the gospel. God will never accept you based on how well you do. The message of the gospel is, if you trust in Christ and his perfect, holy righteousness, you're accepted by God right now, today, perfectly, and you forever will be. And that message, when we receive it truly, will propel our lives to answer the if question and say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm going to come after you. Have you ever decided to be not just a believer, but to be a follower of Jesus? Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, here's where you start. First, he says, I want you to deny yourself. To deny yourself. The original language here, it makes it clear that this is a a one-time decision. It's a definitive decision. This is a drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is where I stand permanently. This is a choice to say, I say yes to Jesus, understanding that saying yes to him means that I say no to me. I deny myself. I say no to myself, right? Knowing that following Jesus starts with denying yourself. And it's a decision that makes decisions. It's a yes now that will inform a whole lot of decisions in my life daily. I had a pretty decent wreck when I was a 17-year-old. Hydroplaned in my car, spun around backwards, went into the median of the highway. The car was basically totaled. Never forget, the guy runs up to the car as I'm sitting there just kind of shaking and trying to figure out what just happened. He opens the door. He said some stuff. I'm not going to say what he said, but he was surprised that I was alive. Okay, And he let me know that. And I'll never forget, just, I was just blown away by the fact that I didn't have a scratch on me. My, my car is in a thicket of pine trees. <laughs> it's all banged up. I was not wearing a seatbelt, and I was perfectly fine. And, I, and I'm not here to tell you that I saw an angel sitting in the passenger seat, though that would have been awesome, right? I mean, it probably would have been scary, actually, if we think about what happens in the Scripture, right? I wouldn't have, even, I wouldn't have been focused on the wreck. I'd be like, I'm so scared of you, I don't even care right now about the wreck. <laughs> Right? I, I didn't see angels in the car with me. I didn't hear the voice of God boom down from heaven just after the wreck to be like, this is my beloved precious who I have protected from adversity. I didn't hear that. Right? I just know that God is sovereign even at that point in my life. I know God's in control of all things, and I was not doing what I needed to do, and yet I am perfectly safe and fine right now. And at that day, I remember saying, I will wear a seatbelt always. Right? If you're a mom in the room, you got a teenager, you should have said amen right there. I was giving you a chance, okay? Right. 
I decided I'll always wear a seatbelt. There have been multiple times in my life since then that I have thought, I just don't put the seatbelt on. Right? Right? I ate too much. The seatbelt's not comfortable. Let's just go without the seatbelt. We're just going right down the road. We're leaving Lulu's. We're just going to the condo. Okay? Right? Right? If I don't buckle, I can cuddle just a little closer to her as we drive. Right? If I don't buckle, I can kind of sneak over there a little bit more. Right? Right, well, well, I'm just going right over there, and I don't like having to buckle this thing, right? But, but I'm telling you, when I go somewhere in a car, I buckle the seatbelt. <laughs> no matter what thoughts fly through my mind, I go, I am buckling the seatbelt because I had a moment in my life when I decided that God had been good to me, and it wasn't because I did or didn't have my belt on. It's just because he's good and he's God and I was safe. And therefore, because of what he's already done, I am now a buckler of seatbelts. The last couple of weeks, I've been riding around with no seatbelt because my seatbelt broke. I'm talking broken, broken. Like, tried to fix it, thought it was fixed. No, 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 it was done. And I have not been uh, more uncomfortable riding around in my life than I have been the last couple of weeks riding around like, I don't have no seatbelt. I got it fixed. I took the whole seat out of my truck. For some of y'all, that's not very manly. For me, that's I'm, I'm manly, right? I fixed it all by myself, right? Mr. David Moore told me how, so, but, but I did it, right? Why is that a laugh? You needed somebody to tell you something. But what I'm wanting you to hear is that there was a one-time line in the sand, definitive decision in my life that said, God has been good to me, and therefore, as a result of that, one of the ramifications of that, one of the outflows of that in my life to show my gratitude and and live in wisdom is, I am a wearer of seatbelts, and so I am religiously devoted to putting on my seatbelt. Jesus is saying, if you're going to come after me and you're going to be more than a believer and actually be a follower, you're going to have to have a definitive decision that says, I will learn what it means to say no to me. I'm committed to saying no to myself. And I want to be really careful with this, right? I don't want you to misunderstand. Jesus is not saying that you have to say no every single time you have any desire or impulse. Some of you are going, well, I was, I was going to give a whole lot of money to missions, but I don't really think Jesus wanted me to, so I'm going to get a bass boat. Right? Got to say no to me and live the hard life in my boat. All right? <laughs> no. Right? Some of us are going, hey, I really wanted to do this for God, but because I wanted to, because it was my desire, I've got to say no to that. Right? Denying myself. Somebody's at home right now in bed. They're like, just trying to love Jesus. I wanted to go to church. Denying myself. Right? That's not the denial that Jesus is talking about. Okay, what he's pointing out is that in our lives as followers of Jesus, there will be plenty of times, I promise you, because of who he is and what his mission is in contrast with who we aren't apart from him. There will be plenty of times when our little inner self, our little selfish desires pops up its head and goes, hey, let's do this or let's go that way. And it's going to be counter to the direction and the leadership of Jesus. And in that moment, have you already made a decision to say no to you. He says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be a person who's already made a decision to say no to you when whatever it is that you have as your agenda doesn't mesh with my agenda. And it's a lot easier. It's still hard, but it's easier to say no in the middle of the day on a Tuesday when I'm faced with it. It's a lot easier to say no when I've already made that big decision a long time ago. I'm I'm concerned that in our presentations of the gospel and, and a lot of American Christian circles, we leave out something that Jesus clearly teaches. 
In Luke 14, he talks about a king who's about to go to war. And he says, before he goes to war, he stops and thinks first, how many men am I going to lose? And am I even able to win this battle? He doesn't just get charged up with emotion and go, let's go to war. He says, before you build a tower, you sit down and you think, do I have the goods necessary and and can I actually do all the work necessary to build this thing up? What he's teaching you to do is consider the cost. We live in a culture that says, do you want to not go to hell? And even people who go, I don't think necessarily there is a hell, but if I'm being asked if I don't want to go there, if there is one, yeah, I don't want to go there. And then we're told, then say yes to this. Say yes to Jesus. We go, okay, yeah, I'll say yes to that. And never have we ever been told, hey, consider the cost of what it would mean to follow Jesus. I I say to people when I get to talk to folks about Jesus who are considering committing their lives to follow him, I try to remember to always say some semblance of this statement. Are you sure that you're wanting to follow Jesus with all of your life for the rest of your life? Not that you're going to do it perfectly, but is that what you're committing to aim for is all of your life for the rest of your life. Jesus says that's the life he's calling you to, to deny yourself, to say no to you. And the second thing he says doesn't get easier, it gets harder. He says deny yourself and do what? He said it. Deny yourself and take up your cross. All right, really quickly, we got to mesh out a little bit of what this does not mean because in our culture it's become really easy for the cross that I carry or the cross that I have to take up just means any negative circumstance in my life. <laughs> Anything that's hard for me, I'm sick, so that's my cross to bear. Right? I'm, I, I got these kids and, man, they're, they're about to drive me nuts, right? Those little rascals and, ah, that's, this is my cross, I'm taking up my cross. <laughs> no, look. When Jesus said taking up his cross, he wasn't talking about everyday trouble that anyone could face. He's talking about a specific reality that belonged only to his followers. So if your headache, as bad as it may be, and as much as I genuinely care about it, I've had migraines for months, they're horrible. But if your headache is your cross to bear, then what are you going to do? How are you going to be faithful to Jesus to bear your cross daily when your headache's gone? It's got to mean something other than temporal, everyday inconveniences. I didn't get the best parking spot at Walmart, and I had to walk further than I wanted to, and I didn't have time. I'm just bearing my cross for Jesus. No, you're not. What is Jesus talking about when he says, taking up your cross? His original hearers would have known very clearly what he meant. The cross was a murder weapon. The cross was an instrument of execution. The the Romans were so good. They had practiced so much. It's estimated that just in the lifetime of Jesus, they possibly had crucified as many as 30,000 different people. Oftentimes they would crucify as many as 100 at a time in a public place along a roadway so that when you walked by, you could see what happened to you if you didn't obey their orders. They were good at it. They knew how to pierce spikes into the cross at just the right place to cause severe damage and pain to the nerves, but also to avoid the bone structure so that the person would have the strength in their bones to remain there and be in agony and endure. See, when when the disciples heard, when the, the contemporary hearers heard of Jesus saying, take up your cross, they knew he was saying, take up this murder weapon, take up this mindset, this dead man walking mindset of, I know that there's a good chance that this is going to lead to hardship, if not death, for me. Think about this. What, what leader would you love to hang out with? What leader would you love to spend some time with? It could be a, a government leader, political leader. It could be a societal influencer that you just love could be a sports hero what what leader would you just absolutely chomp at the bit to get to spend 15 minutes with 
I'm sure we're all thinking of the same person, Nick Saban, okay? Roll Tide. <laughs> Whoever that person is for you, imagine that that person comes up to you and they go, hey, I'm here. You want to hang out? And you say yes. And then they say, all right, well, pick up that loaded gun and point it at your chest and follow me. They say, pick up that syringe loaded with lethal injection that could kill you. Hold it to your arm and follow me. You're going, well, that seems a little bit brash. That's a little bit abrasive, Jason. I don't even know if that's careful preaching. That's, Jesus is saying to them, take up uh, an instrument of murder and follow me. Know that it's likely that you're going to hurt and suffer and potentially die if you follow me. Live your life with this mindset. Are we surprised and pushed back when we face adversity for following Jesus? We shouldn't be. Do we give up when it's not going as well as we thought? When we actually step in and go, I'm going to make this hard decision based on my faith, not based on my culture or based on my personal desires, and people don't understand it, maybe even our families. When we have those types of moments, do we go, ah, Okay, I tried the following Jesus thing, even when it's hard, it didn't work well. He didn't say, follow me until it's hard. He said, follow me through hardship. Following Jesus starts with denying yourself. And you make this one-time decision, this line in the sand to say, I will learn to say no to myself. I'm committed to being one who would deny myself when myself would seek to lead me away from Jesus' path. He says, you'll make that decision, and then watch. Daily, he says, daily take up your cross. That's when we're making those decisions that flow from that big decision that's already been made. Daily, I will choose to live this way. Why would Jesus tell us to live with this dead man walking mentality? What about a good Savior who would give his heart for the whole world? Why would he look at us and say, hey, follow me. Get ready to die. There's got to be something good that comes from that, right? There has to be promise packed in there somewhere. Thankfully, we get to see it. Verse 24, he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Man, this flies all in the face of American dream culture. Do you see what he said there at the end? He said you could gain everything, and yet the the pathway of gaining much could be the very pathway that ultimately causes you to lose yourself forever. Here's the promise, verse 24, that if you would seek to lose your life, if you would seek to say no to you and give up your life as much as possible, where you seek to give your life up, you, in fact, will actually do the opposite of that. You will find your life being saved. See, lasting gain results not from taking, not from striving hard to have everything I can have, but lasting ultimate gain, gain that really matters, lasting gain results from giving giving of yourself. 
And if you follow Jesus long enough to give of yourself sacrificially in a way that's even a little bit uncomfortable and painful, in a way that might even exhaust you a little bit, you know what it is to simultaneously feel exhausted and tired and beat up from doing so as you're driving home and also going, but I love that I was able to do that. I love that I was able to bless that person. I love that I was able to comfort that person. I love that I was able to aid that person or keep a roof over that person's head that they were going to lose if this wasn't fixed for them. Or I, whatever it is, listen, it cost me. I didn't get to do the thing I most wanted to do. Because I decided a long time ago that the thing I most wanted to do was say no to me in moments when God had a plan for me to bless others and that didn't jive with me enjoying my own blessing. I think about a movie called The Social Network. It's a movie about, and I, I don't know how fictitious or factual it is. I haven't done the research, but it's a movie about the founding of social media giant Facebook. And the guy who started it, a guy named Mark Zuckerberg. And I don't know if this played out in real life or not, but in the movie, he was so meticulously obsessed with growing this company and this thing that he had crafted and created in a college dorm room. He was so much about that and so laser-focused on that that it shows in his life over a period of years that he loses all the people who were closest to him. Because when it came to their interpersonal interactions, the only lens through which he could understand those interactions was how their friendship affected his goal of Facebook. And so at least in the movie, he winds up as this guy who, though millions know him, though he is financially blessed and wealthy relationally, he is robbed and he has robbed himself because he was absolutely obsessed with gaining. In reality, what Jesus says and what Jesus demonstrates penultimately at the cross is that we gain in any way that ultimately matters, not by taking, but by giving. Follower of Jesus, do you live your life looking for how you can give? And, 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 and give could be a couple of dollars to somebody who needs it, but give can also be your patience with somebody who is most hard for you to give patience to. The person who's maybe so different than you that they're harder for you to love than some other people, or maybe if we really got honest with ourselves, it's really hard for me to love that person because they're a whole lot like me. But do we give them, not just by some kind of whimsical Disney fairy floating by and going, here's a little more patience, dust. No, do we dig down deep into the soul that Jesus has given us to the new identity he's birthed in us and go, God, help me to love them. Give me patience. And I choose to walk it out as best I know how. Do we give of ourselves? Do we give of our patience? Do we give of our energy? Because any gaining that ultimately matters results from giving. So Jesus says, don't try to have all the stuff and lose what matters most. And just like Zuckerberg in the movie loses relationship, what we see that is most important that's lost by the person who's not a giver but a taker is the most important relationship there is. Verse 26 Jesus finishes out his thoughts. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. That's a hard verse. I just want to challenge you, church. 
And, and it may not be for you personally, because maybe you know you're a follower of Jesus, but it may be for your view and your perspective of people you know who don't follow Jesus. I want to challenge you. Sometime today, would you just sit still, or at least sometime this week, would you just sit still with Luke nine twenty six? Read it again. Jesus, this is Jesus talking. The same Jesus that we talk about, rightly so, as one who is just so overflowing with love and patience and kindness. All that is true, and yet and still, he also is true when he says this. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus is being really clear. Listen, sometimes we don't like it when hard truth is delivered. And in our world, when hard truth comes, people say, well, you're hateful. In reality, hard truth delivered lovingly is the most loving thing you can do. It it costs you more, it's harder for you, and it's what's best for the other person is to go, I'm going to tell you the truth. Jesus tells the truth, and he's wanting us to see, I believe, that refusing to follow now ends in being refused forever. You see that? This is Jesus saying, if you don't choose now to draw that line in the sand and choose to be more than just a believer because there were demons who believed that I'm the son of God, but they don't follow me. If you don't choose to go beyond believer and be a follower now temporally in this life, if you refuse to follow now, that's going to end for you in being refused forever. You ever seen somebody who makes their choice, but then when the odds play out and we see how everything turns out, they they try to change (laughs) the last moment. They try to come around and go, well, no, 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 I I really wanted this. Or I meant to say, I've been a Chicago Cubs baseball fan since I was about seven years old. Love them with my whole heart as much as you can love a baseball team. They broke my heart yesterday. They're not going to be in the playoffs this year, right? (sighs) Shouldn't have broken my heart. It happens almost every year. Right? I don't know why every year it comes back around. It's like, man, how did that happen? It's like it, it's, that's what happens. Right? But in 2016, they finally got the team together, and they had finally made the playoffs a couple times. And in 2016, they shocked the world, and they won the World Series. They were the champions of the world. My father-in-law, he was a big, huge Cubs fan. My sister-in-law is a Cubs fan. That was part of the way I knew that the Lord had arranged sovereignly for me to marry into their family. I met their daughter, and I was like, she's pretty special. And then I met them, and I was like, oh, well, anything that she's not got right, we'll be fine because they're Cubs people, right? He had told me, he was like, man, if the Cubs ever make the series, I'm buying tickets, we're going. And I think he very much meant that until the Cubs made the series. We couldn't afford to go. We could have sold everything we owned. There were people paying astronomical amounts of money just to go to one of these World Series games because guess what? Uh, Everybody who, this team, they they were literally nicknamed the Beloved Losers. Right, the lovable losers, the Cubs. Right? They were a joke. People didn't love them at all until they were successful, and then all of a sudden everybody was flocking right? to see this story, to see it play out. Everybody wants to be a piece of that. And you know what a true-to-the-heart Cubs fan was thinking in that moment? No, nah, don't come around here. <laughs> right? That's fine. You can like them, but don't act like you're a fan. Right? Don't act like you know about some of the players that I know about who were garbage, but I still cheered for them for years and years. They were horrible, and I acted like they were all-stars because that's my team, right? You don't know anything about them, right? 
You don't know what it's like to have your heart broken every. You don't know what it's like to turn the TV on and see the Cubs and have a moment of excitement and then remember that they will lose and go, oh, right? You don't know that, right? Don't step in now that there is success. Don't step in now that there is victory and say, I attach myself to that. I'm a fan because the reality is you either were a fan or you're not a fan, right? It's either true one way or the other, and it's always been true one way or the other. And as much as that's a silly illustration, hear this. Jesus is saying a very similar thing. He's saying you either follow me in this life, but don't expect to come around at the end and attach yourself to my victory. Be more than a believer in me now and be a follower now. Or don't expect to come around and follow me into eternity. If you're ashamed of me now, if it's uncomfortable for you now, if you can't lay down whatever it is you won't lay down to follow me now, it's not going to happen for you to come around and follow me later. Now listen, followers of Jesus. What do we do with a passage like this? Because we're saying, much like the apostles, well, I'm already a disciple. I think the first thing that we do is consider our own lives. Are there areas in our lives where if we're honest and we let God's spirit inspect us, the reality is we're not following Jesus. We're not even trying to. We've kind of cloistered that off in our souls and go, man, I'm going to get to that one day. I know it's there, but I'm not dealing with it. I'm not doing that right now. Listen, we're all going to meet Jesus face to face one day, and we're all going to do that with imperfect souls, right? So we all have sinfulness in us, right? So hear that. Nothing that Jesus says here nullifies his grace at all. But it's an act of grace for him to tell us, don't be comfortable in your denial of following me in any area of your life. And know that true ultimate life comes by you following, by you denying you. Followers of Jesus, are there areas in your life? I just submit that to you. You talk to God about that. Followers of Jesus, does hearing such a stark statement from Jesus hopefully spark in us a great desire to see people that don't know Jesus come to know Jesus? Because it doesn't matter how many times they sat with you in church. It doesn't matter what they said or if they were put in some water or, or what. None of that stuff it matters. Are they following Jesus by faith as best they know how? Imperfectly, yes. Consistently, pattern of their life, Yes. Where do we, Dublin Bible Church, need to be honest with God and deny ourselves? I ask the musicians to come. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus, and you're sitting here today and you're going, I know I don't follow Jesus. I know that I don't have a relationship of faith with God because I trust Jesus. If that's you today, you are not the enemy. We're so glad you're here. We were all in that same place at one point in our lives. Can I just beg and plead with you from the bottom of my soul as somebody who cares about you? Please stop living the southern cultural Christian life and assuming that you're fine if you're not following Jesus. You're not going to show some type of statement or report card to Jesus one day and he's going to go, oh, it's fine, you didn't follow me because you did this. No. Follow Jesus and embrace that it will be hard. Embrace that it's going to require you to walk with a mindset of pain and, and hard things coming your way, but also know that there is promise of life with him. When he says, follow me, that means he is with you. You are with him. And your worst day with him will be better than your best day without him.
you're here today, you don't know Jesus in that way and you want to, we're going to sing in just a moment. Come find me if you want to talk about that. I'll be somewhere right down here. I can pray with you in any way or help you in any way. Come find me. Find a friend. Write it on that card close to your seat that you'd like to speak with a pastor. And Lord willing, we'll get in touch with you this week. But don't do nothing if you know you're not a follower truly of Jesus. We're going to sing today at least a couple songs. We sang a little less on the front end intentionally. We're going to sing this song. You're going to hear Nick sing this song about what it means to abide in Jesus. To say no to us so that we can be near him and follow him. And it's perfectly fine if you want to start singing with that song. But but it's also perfectly fine. We've kind of designed it in our minds and hearts that we have a little extra song there. Maybe for time for you just to reflect. Maybe for time for you just to, to hear lyrics sung over you and consider your heart before God with God. I want to encourage you, challenge you to do that today. Let's pray. God. I need to say no to me in multiple ways. And I need your help to do it. I need the reminder of your loving spirit. I need your strength. I pray that you would carry that desire and that awareness in me beyond this morning and this moment of prayer. God, I pray you would show us how to be people who deny ourselves for the sake of you. God, I pray you would show us in our lives where we need to say no to us. We're saying yes to ourselves is causing us to feast on brokenness instead of live the life that you died to give us. God, whatever you want to do in us, I pray you would make it clear and that you would give us courage to respond and worship. I ask these things for your name. Please, Jesus. Amen. Sit